Well, Susie is very excited. Her whole family has just moved to Canberra because she has been accepted into the Australian Institute of Sport. If everything goes according to plan, she will be competing for Australia at the next Olympics. It's her first day, and it really is just like the first day at preschool. Everyone's excited, but everyone's nervous all at the same time. And they have an orientation session. They all get shown round. She meets the other girls who've been selected. They're told what their weekly routine will be, how much training they're expected to do. They're told that $20 million a year gets poured into them in funding. And from now on, they are going into strict training. And everything is about being the best gymnast that they can be. After it's all over, the director of the institute comes in and says, any questions? Susie puts up a hand. She's got a question that's been bothering her all morning. I've been buying a new car. I'm wondering if I should get a blue one or a white one. Is that a bit strange? The next day, it's Susie's first training session. The girls get introduced to all the equipment. There's a buzz. There's, there's the bars. There's the vault. There's the trampoline. There's all this high-tech gear to take photos of them and to uh, analyse their techniques. They meet their coaches. Again, there's an opportunity for questions. This time, it's the head coach of the Institute of Sport. Susie puts up a hand. Yes, Susie. Susie asks a question. I'm thinking of take, taking up a hobby now that I've moved to Canberra. Do you think I should do stamp collecting or would it be better to collect coins? I've actually already got some coins. I'm thinking coin collecting might be better. What do you think? Now, do you reckon Susie's asking the wrong questions? Don't you think that at the Institute of Sport, Susie should be milking her coach for how to be the best gymnast that she can be? In fact, at this point, aren't you starting to wonder if Susie actually wants to even be there? Susie says she wants to do gymnastics, but I tell this story because we are now at the business end of the course of your life, where the rubber hits the road. What will our new life look like as Christians? What will change about your life when you become a Christian? And if now by week five of the course, you're starting to ask questions like, how can I live for Jesus? How can I please Jesus? How can I live with Jesus as my king? Then I think you've got it. That would be like Susie saying, how can I be a better gymnast? What needs to change in me to make me a better gymnast? But maybe you're still thinking about other issues that you want answers to, like work or finances or family issues. Maybe you want to see what the course of your life has to say about them. Now, as a Christian, those things will all need to be thought through, but it's only worth thinking through those things after you realise that they are not the most important thing. If you go to them first, that's just reinforcing your your agenda that that's what matters. They are all secondary things, and the most important thing is that we are being changed to be more like Jesus. Now, today we're thinking about the new course of our life. And we won't mention jobs, holidays, health, girlfriends, boyfriends, children, money, sport, career, investments, food. Because in our new course of life, 
all those things are secondary. See, our new course of life is about a change in who we are. And this change is huge. Nothing else in the world can bring about a change, anything like this in a person's life. This is a change at the deepest level of who we are. So this morning's talk's in two halves. You can see them there on your outline. Firstly, what the change is. And secondly, how we are changed. Okay, firstly, what our new course of life looks like. And then secondly, how we can actually live it out. So what is this change? Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Leave your finger in Galatians. We will get there. But let's start in the passage that we were looking at last week. Romans chapter 6, verse 8. Romans chapter 6, verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now, that's what we were looking at last week. Christians have been united with Christ. And so what's his is ours. He died, we died. He was raised, we are raised to new life. We are in him. If we had a read on in the book of Romans last week, though, straight away it goes on to talk about how to live that out. What does our new life look like? Romans 6 verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master. Because you are not under law, but under grace. In other words, even though we don't have to, even though we're not under law anymore, because we're under grace where we can do what we want, our new life is actually one where we do get rid of sin because that's what we want. We want to live for God. Now that our old life is dead, don't go back to it. Don't go on living as you used to. That would be like the fellow last week who was rescued from his lifeboat and hoisted into the Orion cruise liner, that would be like him jumping back overboard into the ocean. You wouldn't do it. All your life, you were a slave to sin before you knew Jesus. You've seen the damage that that does to the people around you. And then the gospel came and it showed you a way out. And now that you're out of that, why would you go back? In fact, not only will you not want to go back to that, you'll actually want to be now more like Jesus. And almost every New Testament book, if you read them, does this transition. After it's talked about Jesus' death and that we're saved just by grace, it goes on to talk about the change that will come about in our lives. Ephesians 4, Philippians 2, Colossians 3, Titus 2, again and again, the Bible tells us, Christ gave his life to rescue us, and so now we'll want to live for him. That's the new course of our lives. Now, that may not be new to a lot of you, and I think uh, that raises a fairly obvious question, doesn't it? If I have a new life, if my old life is dead with Christ, how come I still struggle 
to do what's right? Why as a Christian can't my life just get sorted out? Why is it so hard to do what's right? Why does it feel like a battle? Well, for the answer to those questions, we're going to turn to Galatians because Galatians is all about that battle that goes on inside a Christian. So turn with me to Galatians 5, verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary or opposite to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Life feels like a battle because we are in a battle. You might think that when you become a Christian, all your temptations should just evaporate into nothing and life would be easy. Nothing could be further from the truth. When you become a Christian, your life turns into a war zone. And on one side is your sinful nature or the flesh, your body, its desires, the old habits that you have. You might be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus, but you are still living in the same body. And this body has things that it wants to do. That's one side of the battle. The other side is the spirit of God who he has placed in us when we follow Jesus. And the spirit is pulling you in one direction, but your flesh is pulling you in the other direction. There's a war being waged. And you are right in the middle of it. Verse 17, the sinful nature desires what is contrary, opposite to the spirit. The spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. When Jill and I first got married, it was a great thing. We've been looking forward it, forward um, for a long time to it, me especially. And when we were married, though, and we moved in together, there were some tensions. And from talking to other married people, I gather we're not the only ones. I cooked spaghetti one way. Jill cooked spaghetti a very different way. There are other differences as well we won't go into. Now, they needed to be worked out when we started living together. That'll create some tension. When we become a follower of Jesus, God's Holy Spirit moves into our life. He comes and he lives with us. That'll create some tension. But it's not a matter of negotiating with God's Spirit, oh, I'd really like to keep on to this, uh, uh, what am I going to keep, what am I going to throw out? No, God's Spirit is there to help you get rid of stuff that does not belong in your life and he is there to transform you to be like Jesus. And if you're a Christian, that battle is going on inside you. Okay, it's not a sign that you're not a very good Christian if you've got that battle going on inside you or something like that. It is a sign that God's Spirit is at work in you. And your job is to keep in step with the Spirit. Side with the Spirit, not with the flesh. And the best part of all this is that God's Spirit's actually on your side. Or you're on his side. God's Spirit is not trying to get you to do something that you don't want to do. He's actually helping you get rid of the things that you don't want to do. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature, they're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. See, when we follow the flesh, we actually are doing things that we don't want to do. 
You might think that when you're faced with this particular temptation, you, you, you'd really like to do this. That's not true. You don't want to do it at all as a Christian. It's your sinful nature. It's your selfishness. It's your flesh that wants it. You don't. You want to please God. Augustine, he's a Christian from a long time ago, he said this. Imagine God said to you, make a list of everything you want. Write it out. Take your time. Then God says, I'll give you this, all of this on one condition, that you never see my face again. Now you'd be horrified, wouldn't you? Augustine says that horror is your love for God. You actually want him more than anything else. You do want to live for him. See, we don't want to go back to sin and the mess it causes. To live by the sinful nature is a disaster. And in case you've forgotten that, look at verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Is that how you want to live? There's a whole range. There's there's witchcraft and orgies and extreme and then there's just selfishness. Living for yourself. That's how people who don't have the spirit of God live and it ruins lives. Sexual immorality destroys marriages. Hatred and jealousy tears families apart. Envy drives even our best sports people. They're the best of the best and yet they take drugs and they cheat because they want to be better than the other person and their lives are wrecked. Even police officers and high court judges, they turn into the very things they're trying to protect us from sometimes because they come greedy and they overstep that line. It's the sinful nature and it turns lives into wreckages with damage strewn everywhere. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been set free from that. You're dead to that. You don't want to live like that. In fact, God has put his spirit in you, teaching you a new way. Look at verse 22 of Galatians 5. But the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. See, God is changing us from the inside out to produce good fruit. We've got a lime tree at home, and every year it produces limes. If we look after it well, if I remember to fertilise it at the right time when the packet says, and if we give it lots of water, and if it doesn't get that long period in summer where we forget to water it, it produces lots of limes, really good ones. Now, if we neglect it and we don't look after it well, we don't get as many limes, and they're a bit smaller, but we still get limes. It's never given us lemons. It's never given us apricots. doesn't give us grapefruits. It gives us limes. The fruit of the lime tree is limes. The fruit of the sinful nature, the fruit of someone who's not in Christ, is everything listed in verse 19. 
And you can try to be a good person. You can try and obey whatever rules you want, like the Ten Commandments or whatever. You can try and be a good person, but the fruit of your life that's coming out of your heart won't change. But then when you become a Christian and you're in Christ, God actually changes your heart. He gives you his spirit and you now produce different fruit. Fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, not breaking promises but being faithful to each other, gentleness and self-control. I know a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to work out um, what God's will for their life is. Have you heard that phrase, what is God's will for my life? If you want to know God's will for your life, this is it. God's will is that you be this kind of person. This is what matters most to him. The fruit of the Spirit isn't that your business succeeds. The fruit of the Spirit isn't that your children or your grandchildren come first in their class at school. That's not a measure of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit isn't that you're fit or healthy or attractive. Now those things may be what we would write if we were to write our own agenda, but they are not the most important things in God's course for our life. God wants us to be holy people. People who are growing more like Jesus. Do you see? The role of God's Holy Spirit is to make holy people. The role of God's Holy Spirit is to make us into holy people. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day to be more like Jesus. That is where God wants to lead you by his Spirit as you follow his lead. And this isn't just that we sit back and do nothing. We are to follow his lead. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Step by step, hour by hour, day by day, we follow the Holy Spirit as he turns us into holy people. And if you find that you are still caught up in the acts of the sinful nature, those things that are listed in verse 19, then you need to work with God's spirit to get rid of them. Because some of those things do hang around, don't they? Our sinful nature might not rule us anymore. It's not our master, but it's still there. We're like a free slave who still jumps at our old master's voice even though we're free. We're like a girl with a healed leg, but we still limp, not because our leg's broken, but just that it's a habit. We're like a prisoner who's released, but we still wake up at the old prison hours. But God's spirit is there to help us live out our new life of freedom. Back in Galatians 5.15, Paul said, you were called to be free. That's what verse 18 says. If you're led by the spirit, you're not under law. We are free. You are free to do whatever you want now. The thing is, what you want to do is what pleases Jesus. So don't go back to the old way of slavery. If you're still getting drunk, don't do it. 
That's not what you want to be doing. That's how you used to live. You've seen the destruction that it causes. You can do better than that. You might think, I can't. No, you can with the help of his spirit. It may not be an instant change, but day by day, God's spirit can change you to be more like Jesus. If at work you're caught up with being jealous about other people who are appreciated for, for work and noticed and you're not, don't, don't live that old way anymore. If you're being attracted to or spending time with someone of the opposite sex that you shouldn't be, if you find you're caught up complaining behind other people's backs, if you're just slowly withdrawing yourself from your family, or if you're just living for yourself, stop it. That's not what you want to be doing. You've set, been set free from that. You don't have to go back to that destructive way of life. That stuff ruins lives. It never ends well. Jesus has set you free from it. It's not attractive as it looks. So get back in step with the spirit who wants to lead you to what is good. That's what our new course of life is all about working hard to put off sin and working hard to love God and love others and be like Jesus. Not because we have to, not because it's some horrible duty, but because we want to. God's not some ogre who wants to ruin your life. He actually wants what's best for you. He set you free in love so that you can live for him. Living for Jesus is not some boring, unpleasant duty. It is actually the best way to live. And Jesus, in love, gave his son so that you can live that way. Now, that doesn't mean that it's easy. In fact, by ourselves, it is impossible. But praise God that he's given us his spirit so that we can obey him, so that we want to. Now that, friends, is what your new course of life is all about. Being more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father Jesus, when he was alive on earth, really analysed our hearts when he just described all the selfish things that come out of our hearts. And Father, we know that no matter, no matter how many rules we put in place, no matter how many accountability groups we make for ourselves, we pin the Ten Commandments up on our toilets or no matter how hard we work at being religious people, we can't change ourselves. We saw that all through the Old Testament. Even your people who'd, ha who'd been rescued failed because they didn't have your spirit. But Father, thank you that you now change us. You work in us to bring about a change that was impossible by ourselves. And Father, thank you that the Spirit isn't just some optional extra that some people are, uh, get to be holy. Thank you that every believer has your Spirit and your Holy Spirit is changing us to be holy people. Father, we confess that too easily we listen to our old master's voice. We're deceived into thinking that that's, that's a, a, somehow a good way to live. Father, please help us to keep in step with your Spirit. Father, by your spirit, please continue to change us so that we want to live for you, so that we have the power to live for you, that each day we're becoming more like Jesus. 
And Father, thank you that when he returns, we will get to stand before him white, pure, washed clean. We pray that in the meantime, we would be living that out day by day. Amen.